Now encoding transmission. Transmission encoding completed. Have you often found yourself wondering about the unsolved mysteries and weirdness that surround them all? Now, I'm not saying it's definitely aliens, but it's definitely aliens. You're listening to Three Girls, One Cape. Can you handle the truth? Yes, live from the quarantine. Yes, Stalling. Rachel. Oh yes. <laughs> yes, All and right. I got my sister from another Mister on the on the line. We. Yeah. And I got. I'm, I'm your favorite milkman. Yes, baby. the milkman's baby. Yes, because you know that milkman. He had was slimming that day. Yeah, he has some beautiful he eyes. That milkman. It. Yes, yes, and I'm the sister from the Mm. same mister, Mara, yes, yes, Mama Rose, yes, Mara Rose, Mama, (laughs) (laughs) although this is a very terrible time to be a home, absolutely, it's a very hard time, that's why everyone's becoming becoming a cam girl right now, so shout out to all the like yeah, yeah, they're like they're cam growing it. They're sitting on cakes, like yeah, whatever popping balloons with those shit. fat asses, whatever it takes. <laughs> you gotta send feet pics. Sometimes it's just gotta happen. You gotta pay yes, that rent. Mm, well, today God. on three girls, one cape, we're gonna talk about a couple different unsolved mysteries. Yes, we each did a little research to come up with. Um, a topic of an unsolved mystery for us to talk about today. And we're going to let Vanessa go first. Hers is a little bit closer to home than you may realize, especially for you that are out there in Massachusetts. Well, I was actually, um, I was given the idea to cover this one by my own mother. Mm, Thanks, Vicky. Because you remember when this was happening. Yes. Yes, and I even think from my mother sharing some of her stories that it's quite possible that my mother even may have came in contact with a suspect and killer. Interesting. But we never got his name. But, like, yes, I'm pretty sure from the stories that my mother has shared with me. Well, why don't you why don't you time, share the story, her encounter, if you don't mind? So there was this, um, you know, well, so, like, where... Where this woman was kind of like abducted in this area was in the town of Bellingham, Massachusetts. And my mother went to an appointment in that area where she was dropped off by her mother at her apartment. And this man was hanging outside that she also noticed this van when she was leaving her doctor's appointment. She noticed the same van kind of stalking mm-hmm. that van. As she's walking across the street to her apartment, this guy calls out to her. And he says, hey, not to try to make it seem like it's creepy, but I've been trying to figure out all day how to ask you out for dinner. Yep, that's not creepy. And my mother says, I think you need to leave now because there's been a lot of girls disappearing in this area. And she ran into her apartment and called the police and this guy stayed outside of her apartment for about 45 minutes. That's crazy. And it took over like, it took over an hour for the police to even show up, but she gave them a description of the van and this character who tried to lure her into the van. Right. And this happened uh, probably about like a month after this girl's death. Right. And I'm talking about Charissa Corley. Um, she was last seen alive on December 4th, 1978. Okay, and this woman's body was discovered on the side of the highway northbound lane of I-495 in Bellingham, Massachusetts on December 6th, 1978. The body was found in a ditch with her clothes scattered around the body and the cause of death was determined by strangulation. Okay. Um... 
one of the things that was interesting about the discovery of her body was that it was called in. It was called in. Somebody called in to the police, and he said that he saw something on the side of the four, of 495. Now, the name that was given to the police, mm -hmm. um, this man does not exist. Okay, so the yeah, a fake name. Okay, it was it was turned in. John Burlington is supposedly the man that called it in. Now, even with the way that the body was discovered, okay, mm -hmm. with it being this on the side of four ninety five, which still to this day, if you drive by this area of four ninety five, you will see a cross on the side of the highway that has roses and flowers. Okay put forward and it's been there for the past 40 years okay this mm -hmm. this case has been around for quite some time and it is still an open investigation and another reason why it hits a little close to home is that a lot of my family is in the same cemetery that this girl is built is buried in okay, okay. so then in you've the been there a couple Milford, times a town in the town of Milford, and she was a Milford girl, and is a very active investigation. Investigation, and it's truly, it's truly something that, like, I have to say, at the, when it happened, the girl who, the, like, the way this girl died, and how everything surrounds it, I think quite possibly that it was done by a serial killer who is acting all over the entire country. Right. In various areas, and also just because of what was going on in this time, is very quite possible, like, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out who did this. And especially since there's a lot of bizarre circumstances, because she was sexually assaulted. Okay. Right? Which is very clear. Right. But they also have men who's responsible for his sexual assault that were not responsible for her death. This is what makes it very difficult to actually figure out exactly what happened here and who did what right. to who. So this is a story that is going to have many updates because it is still actively being investigated and they have been finding more and more stuff since 2016. And the latest thing that was discovered was in December of 2019 which they have yet to release an update on. Since. Right. Uh, which is, but that's still obviously very recent. So the the good thing is, I guess, in this is that obviously not only um, are have people not forgotten about this, but the police are still actively looking for yeah. the murderer in this situation. It's like, it's quite possible that some of these other murders that may have happened throughout the country at this time, and especially with her being put on the side of the highway that's the other thing too is that the way that the body was discovered whoever did this took the time to dig the ditch and strategically place her clothes because she was in the ditch naked mm -hmm. whoever did this displayed her clothes completely around the outer edge of the ditch and where her naked body was dumped into Right. Like you said, it was uh, kind of very purposeful. Mm -hmm. But they are trying to figure out right now because they have found more circumstantial evidence where they are trying to figure out if some of the stuff that they have discovered is by the people who did and did serve time for mm -hmm. sexual assault. We're trying to figure out whether it was done by the killer okay. or whether it was done by the people that she escaped from, which is how she wound up in the hands of the killer. Okay. Okay, because she was assaulted by somebody else where there were tons of witnesses on because she was heavily intoxicated while being out um, celebrating the birthday of her boyfriend at the train stop lounge in Franklin, Massachusetts. Interesting. Um, where she left very upset um, because of an argument that she got with, got in with her boyfriend very publicly. 
where she was scooped up by three mon young men, where she went to another party with in the area, which is where she ran away from because she hitchhiked with multiple people in multiple locations. Mm -hmm. She would refuse to stay with. She stayed with some people and she told them what happened to her. And then they'd stop somewhere and she'd be like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to go with somebody else from this point on. You know? Yeah, that's so, crazy. So she would go from there. And, you know, that's why, like, there's a lot of stuff that they can trace from that. But it's like figuring out exactly who's responsible for this. This is why they keep going back to it, going over certain evidence, going back to certain things that, like, there's so much DNA evidence that was left behind that they can actually pinpoint, and it's very quite possible for them to be able to slightly figure out who actually killed this young lady. Mm -hmm. I can't confirm any of this, but... From the last time I was in Milford, I did go by her own grave. Okay. And uh, because it is in the same cemetery and right around the corner from where my own grandmother is buried. Okay. And I have to say, I'm not exactly sure she has any living relatives. So this is another thing why I really want to make sure that I look into this. Because as far as from what I could see from the tombstone itself, it looks like the direct family line, an immediate family line, um, I don't think they are no longer with us. Yeah, or maybe they just don't live in the area. They moved away to, like, start Possibly or... that they don't live in the area or they are still alive, but their names are not in the plot, so they're definitely not being buried there right. like they are going to be. But the mother is gone, and it looks like a sister is definitely gone. Mm -hmm. Have you um, checked her obituary online? Because I know, like... You can find her obituary online, and even if you go... When you go to her gravesite, there's even a sticker there on her tombstone that says if you have any information yeah, to That's come true. forward to three different police stations yeah. in Massachusetts. So... This is still a very active investigation. Wow. And it happened in 1978, and they still have yet to have an inkling of what is going on. But there was a lot of similar situations that happened around this time. Right. That all fit the same profile. So it's like, who knows? Right. And it's like, you know, I've even been thinking because of another story I'm covering which I will dive into at another time. Mm -hmm. But she may very well have been the first of another series of murders mm -hmm. that happened in Massachusetts in a very similar style. Um, based off of the information that I have been going over from looking over both cases, I'm just going to just throw that out there now that I... I'm still researching, but I will be keeping an update with this, and that is my unsolved mystery. And if anybody does have any information on the Teresa Corley place or story, like if you hear anything or if you have any circumstantial evidence or tales that like you think may be worthy of it, you are able to provide this information to the Norton Police and Framingham and Bellingham and the town of Milford. There are several locations that you can access certain information and that you can um, give whatever you may think you know within this uh, situation because they are still right. taking whatever they can. That's very well said. Yeah, very well. And also, obviously, like Vanessa said, if you do have any uh, information, you know, please do reach out because sometimes it's just people don't connect these dots. And, you know, 
It could be something where it was, or, you know, a case that's similar to this even. Because if it is the theory that this was done by a serial killer who has done more than one of these murders, they obviously know what they're doing. And, you know, like Vanessa said, this isn't obviously the first time that they've done it. It's like, I feel like this might have been the first of a serial killer in Massachusetts. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, which I will dive into the other cases that I think this might be connected to um, in another series eventually. Um, but there's just a lot of research to go over, and there's a lot of artifacts and a lot of files I got to dig through. And I want to make sure that I can deliver all Absolutely. of the most accurate information mm-hmm. to our listeners. And because of these certain cold cases that are still open, everything is constantly changing. Right, exactly. So that's something that I also want people to know that listen to our show. Whenever we're covering any of these cold cases, you need to realize that stuff is constantly changing. And um, there's always something new coming up, and there's always something new being brought into light. And there's always something that they need to dig into. So it's like you can never get a very clear vision of what happened. Right. And that's unfortunately why these cases stay the way that they do. And it takes so long to happen. Like to find out what really happened. Um, Yeah. So whoever has their story next, please bring (laughs) us into it. All right, and we're going to be talking about the Lane Bryant killings or the Lane Bryant shootings, which is a unsolved mystery um, from 2008, and they still have not, it's still an active investigation, and they have not located the killer or possibly killers. Some bullet points about the Lane Bryant shootings is they took part in or took place in Tinley Park, uh, which is in Illinois. It's like a suburb of Chicago Um, in the Brookside Marketplace. There were five dead and one injury and the murder weapon was a 40 caliber Smith and Weston handgun. At around 10.08 on February 2nd, 2008, a man entered Lane Bryant and spoke with the cashier and informed her that they had a delivery and the a manager, Rhoda, who is not scheduled for that shift, decided to call a sister st- store to see if there was a mix-up um, as they tried to figure out uh, why they were receiving a delivery that was unscheduled. During this time, the cashier said the guy kept looking up at the ceiling and he had papers in his hand while he waited for Rhoda to get off the phone uh, with the other store uh, customers were now starting to come into the store and there were other people shopping after she Rhoda was off the, the phone this is when the gentleman pulled out a gun and demanded all the cash in the drawer as well as the cash on the customers and jewelry that the customers were wearing. And then he led them into the back of the store and tied them up with their hands behind their back with duct tape that he had brought with him to the store. And at this time, he assaulted one of the women and groped her. Then he took underwear from one of the displays and put it on the women's heads. Two unlucky women at this time had entered the store during this botched robbery and um, gunmen came out and they were directed into the back of the store with the other woman Um, at this time it's believed that one of the women tried to uh, fight back but unfortunately she was unsuccessful in stopping uh, stopping him and was hit uh, possibly with the butt of the gun but she did have dried blood underneath her fingernails which police do believe to be the killers okay And then, so now all six women are laying face down and the killer is kind of starting to lose his cool. And in the actual tape that they have of the 911 police call, you can hear him yelling at the women. And uh, we're going to listen to that right now, maybe, if it works. Okay. Hold on a second. 
shot in a mass murder at this suburban Chicago Lane Bryant store early in February. Illinois police have released part of a 911 call from that day. The call gives a chilling insight into the final moments before our gunman fatally shot the store's manager. She was able to call 911 on her cell phone before the gunman discovered her. 911 emergency. Wow. So, yeah, as you can hear, as she's, like, trying to whisper into the phone, there's somebody yelling in the background, which is the gunman. And this is when he starts to kind of, he had a cool demeanor up until this point. And I think... Um, that's why a lot of people refer to this as a botched robbery because he obviously had a plan. Everything was going to that plan until the point where he brought these other women into the back and assaulted the one woman and then now has six women laying in the back of this Lane Bryant store, which I mean, obviously is probably concrete. I mean, we've all worked retail, so we all know the back room yeah. is the nicest room. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, so. yeah, and where this happened, too, though, like, this is, uh, this was, like, a very, very heavy, like, there's a lot of foot traffic in this area. This is very public. Right. Well, that that's, that's enough. I mean, a lot of people are, like, <clears throat> I mean, we'll get into that after, so I'll finish. Um, yeah. I'll get back to where I was. So, the, at this point, the killer uh, kind of loses his cool demeanor. And now he's starting to get frantic. So he's uh, so he's at this point lost his cool. Rhoda uh, called 911 using the Bluetooth headset was connected to her phone. Um, and she was uh, immediately connected with Tinley police. But they were Tinley police. But at this time, it's suspected that he figured out that Rhoda had reached out for help. And he shot her right in the face. And then he continued to shoot the rest of the women execution style wow. one by one. And wow. he ended up missing one of the women's, um, who is Martha, mm-hmm. the store uh, associate that it ha- it did not die. Um, and they're mm-hmm. the one that she's getting. She's the one that's giving the police all this inter- information because obviously there was no cameras in the store. So they wouldn't have had any other information about anything about the suspect if she wouldn't have been alive. The reason that she said um, she is alive is because at the last moment she posi- uh, like moved her head to the side so that the bullet grazed her neck. And then she just played dead until police arrived on the scene, which was actually very quickly because there is an officer less than 200 yards away. So... By the time, just to give you kind of a time frame. So by the time that she calls, he kills everybody, and then the police show up, it's literally two minutes. Like, maybe less than two minutes. This is where the theory comes in that there were possibly more than one person, or not more than one person, but he wasn't working alone because he, the time that they have, this one car pulling out and then another car pulled out exactly like a second after that would be the only two cars that were in front of this Lane Bryant that had just witnessed what happened. Wow. The gunman was nowhere to be found at the time police showed up at the scene and all five women were pronounced dead at the scene besides Martha who'd been shot in the neck. Since she was the only witness, she was the only person who um, had seen the killer and the search uh, for the killer actually was very very a large spread search they had helicopters they had uh, NASA working on it with satellites the local police scoured every inch of that plaza um, and they actually held a young man who actually had dreadlocks or they had arrested him and like held him for questioning because he pretty much fit the exact T of the description which was a black man that um, had dreadlocks, like three or four dreadlocks, and one dreadlock that hung over his ear had four green beads on it. I almost said green beans. <laughs> but to this point, there has been very few leads, and there it's still an ongoing police investigation at this time. I'm going to dive into a little bit about the women and then I'll go into the suspect a little bit more. 
and then we'll finish it off with some thoughts about because like I said it's there's a lot of things that don't make sense in this case that's why I chose it like the botched robbery thing why are you going to rob a store first thing in the morning they haven't been open they have no money yeah but why the question I want to know is why the Lane Bryant well that that's exactly it I, a lot of people think that the reason he decided to rob a Lane Bryant was because obviously women shop at a Lane Bryant and women mm-hmm. are usually more damsels in distresses, if you will, and they can't, you know, hold their own. Also, it's a plus size store. So if he was going for someone who was vulnerable, you know, he might think that, you know, women who are plus size, you know, obviously bigger women, you know, a lot of times they... So is he thinking that, is he categorizing, do you think the killer is categorizing plus-size women as more vulnerable targets? Right. Well, because if you think about it, would you rather go into, you know, Elaine Bryant or go into fucking Eastern Mountain Sports if you're going to rob somebody? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, like, as a plus-size woman, um, I'm not in the best athletic shape probably not gonna fight back very well um especially right now because i'm very physically weak but but obviously that's not the same to say for other plus size women and like i said previously that one of the women actually did fight back and try to yeah you know get herself out of this situation but i think oh oh i'm sorry go ahead no 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 it's okay um like I was just saying, but like, I think, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that they were plus size women. I just think that it, it had to do with the fact that there were women and he thought that this was going to be easier said than done, obviously, okay. what he was thinking. Now, something that I do want to address, because mm-hmm. we are putting this as a robbery. Have we been able, or have you been able to find out how much money was stolen. Uh yeah, less than $300. It was like $260 wow. between what was in the drawer and what he robbed the women or so. Like like I said that Martha was, you know, the cashier that didn't end up dying. So all this information is coming from her. So, now, you know, we don't really know too much uh anything besides her point of view, and obviously there's in this story there's so many other people that came in contact with this person. So, no. It's kind of like what you said, how it's strange that he did this robbery, like, first thing in the morning, and it's like, and it's what you said. Like, I'm saying, like, yeah. in your register. Well, so, so, yeah. That maybe he could have been planning to do, like, multiple hits, or just... Right, or, well, I think it might, might have possibly been gang-related, because, and we'll get to that later, that... Um, Because obviously Chicago's known for, especially in this time, because it was in 2008, you know what I mean? So there's still a very heavy gang presence that is in Chicago. Um, And this is right outside of Chicago. And the other thing is that they, whoever did do this, they obviously planned it out because this location is right by a major freeway. So they literally could have just did it, drove off, and they're gone. They could be anywhere. Now... If you don't mind me throwing this out there. Yeah, of course. Because of what we're saying. I, me personally, based off of everything that you've gone over with us. Mm-hmm. Like this might not have ever been about the money in the first place. Right. Because, I, well, that's what, that's what I mean. I don't yeah, think that I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, they labeled this as a robbery. But I don't feel like this intentionally was meant to be a robbery. I don't right. feel that because, one, it happened in the morning before this store has even gotten a chance to even make any money. Right. Well, that, that that's exactly it. Why are you going to rob somebody? Like, um, like, the fact that you said, like, you know, there was only 300-something dollars in the cash drawer. Like, personally, like, if you're thinking about it, and, like, you know, also for any of our female listeners... When you think about how much money was in that drawer and it's only $300. And if you have worked retail, that means there was only like probably close to about like $200 in sales that were made for that day. That is just that store's profit. Okay. Well, and in in 2008, 
nobody's using fucking cash. Everybody fucking uses credit cards. So, like, right. especially in a retail setting, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, you've worked in retail as well. Yeah. That and that's I can what remember from yeah. Torrid that we, like, literally have, would have such few cash sales, like, on a day-to-day basis that... Um, I mean, this is terrible that we literally go to the bank like twice a month because we never had I think, like five hundred dollars. I think in honestly, store. what makes this like so suspicious because it kind of feels like robbery was not the main objective, right? Because if it was plotted out specifically in a robbery sense, I feel like it would have taken place later in the day to allow accumulation. funds right well exactly so my thing is that if he just wanted to rob them um why didn't he have a mask on why did he not try so that's what i mean at the at my why didn't he try to come there before that area closed yeah or he could you know what i mean if it was a robbery the most like where he could have gotten the most out of it so it's like, you know, it's like, that's the thing that I find the most interesting mm-hmm. and the most questionable thing about what you're bringing up is that, like, the fact that they labeled this specifically as a robbery, though. Yeah, Not as a box robbery. The fact that they say it as a robbery, they specifically identify it as a robbery. Right. And it's like, you know, it's like, Personally, it's like if I was going to be trying to go out for the most of it, I'd go for the end of the fucking day. Right. If I well, want to try that's to why go I for think the that most there's money that's possible, and I feel like this is more a little to bit the story more. is yeah. because there's so much. Um, it's not even inconsistency. It's just there's so much that doesn't make sense, so that you're kind of just like, well, what what did happen? You know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. eliminate all the other incorrect information then what you're left with is the truth but the truth doesn't make sense in this situation because if he wasn't a botched robbery then he went in knowing that he was going to kill those women so why did he go in to kill those women he was ready to kill those women so i'm i mean to interrupt but uh was it confirmed that there's only a two or three store associates besides the store manager and all the staff so yeah well actually so that's the thing is that Rhoda wasn't even supposed to be there. So this is another, well, all right, let me, before we jump into this theory, let me read over the women who did pass away and then we'll go over the gunman and talk about the last theory. Cause there's um, the theory that not only, I mean, I automatically thought, which is terrible, but at the same point, like a lot of other people think it. So we'll definitely bring that up. But We'll start with the woman who was shot first, who is Rhoda, who was the uh, store manager. And uh, she had just gotten engaged. She was a pastoral assistant. She's very smart and hardworking. Um, She was actually an Air Force nurse practitioner. Okay. She volunteered at a lot of projects, um, like helping give back to her community and helping women who are affected by like domestic abuse. And she actually became a minister at one point. And the only reason she ended up leaving the church was because she had gotten into an argument with one of the other um, like ministers about how they were spending their money, which I'm guessing because, you know, it they were probably spending it on bullshit. And she seems like the type of person who's like, you know, it should be going to X, Y, and Z, not whatever the fuck yeah. they're spending it on. So that's when she ended up taking the job uh, as the manager of Lane Bryant, and she ended up loving it. Obviously, as you know, for someone who works in retail, like when you help another woman or person or whoever find something that gives them that confidence, it really does. It's like you're, you know what I mean? Like you brought somebody else happiness that before they walked into your your store that they didn't have yes and she would actually a lot of times buy clothing on the clearance rack and donate it women's in shelter and um, other like new moms and stuff like that 42 and she was actually um a local to that area okay 
The next woman that we're going to talk about is Jennifer. She had several young children, three younger than the age of eight. Um, she was an intensive care nurse. She worked there. Uh, she had worked uh, as a nurse for over 10 years. The reason she ended up going to Lane Bryant that day to was buy a new outfit for her date night that she was going with her husband because they were away on business and in this area. And then... She had actually gotten a gift card from a family member for Lane Bryant, and that's what brought her to the store that day. Sarah, who was the youngest one who was killed, she was 22. She was the oldest of three children. She was an excellent student. Um, She spent most of her weekends uh, with her boyfriend or her friends, and she had just gotten a, like, professional job after graduating high school, and she went to go buy new work clothes uh, so that she had some winter work clothes. Next, we're going to talk about Connie, who was 37. And this is the woman, actually, that they believe was hit with the gut of uh, the butt of the gun and had the dried blood underneath her fingernail. She actually worked overnights in the Target that is was right across the plaza from the Lane Bryant. She and her mother had recently started a mortgage company, and she lived at home with her mother and her two sons, a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old. The 10-year-old had spina bifida, um, which required a lot of extra attention from Connie, and she was known as like a very hard worker, very dedicated to her family and the reason that she went to Lane Bryan that day was she was going out with the girls which is a very rare occurrence from uh, what her mother and her friends had said that she was so family devoted that she didn't you know end up spending a lot of time on herself and just wanted to you know always make sure her children had everything not necessarily her and the next one is Carrie she was planning on starting a family she had just recently gotten married within the last couple years she had a a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and uh, she was a social worker in the same school that Sarah the same school that Sarah had graduated from and that Rhoda would actually work community service for and she was a very gentle soul and she was there to pick up some new clothes for a party that she had been invited to so unfortunately you know, it's very sad because all these women, um, ex- well, especially Sarah, she they were kind of, you know, at the beginning of their life. And now, you know, instead of them living a life, they're unfortunately always going to be kind of known as the these women that died in this tragic accident, which, you know, obviously is just so terrible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you would never wish anything like that on anyone. But now let's get into the gunman. So um, a little bit about the gunman. Um, So he was an African-American man with about a medium complexion um, between 5'9 and 5'6. He was clean shaving and he had a receiving uh, receding hairline, three to five rows of cornrows. And then over his right ear, he had a cornrow that had four green beads. So a lot of reports say that he was husky, but he was also wearing a winter coat. And if you know anything about Chicago in the middle of the fucking winter it's fucking freezing you know what I mean they it's literally called the fucking windy city so this appearance of him being husky could you know he could have been a normal completely normal and I think that's more so because of the jacket that he appeared to be on the huskier side um he obviously had no fear of being identified so that's like, a, like I said previously, that's why I think that he knew that he was going to kill these women as soon as he walked into that place. So that was kind of at the back of his mind, because if he was going to rob them, wouldn't you try to cover up your face so people didn't recognize you? And also, I don't think that that was the first time maybe that he went in there, because obviously if they went in and didn't see cameras, even more of a reason. Um, and he had possibly already been incarcerated or possibly has had problems with the law. The police haven't given out uh, much information about what the killer had left, but some people um, say in like a couple different articles that he left a coffee cup that Martha had seen him holding in there as long 
um, as well as the papers that he had left in there. You know, they searched the forests, um, bodies of water, trash cans. You know, they they pretty much looked everywhere that they could for more evidence, and unfortunately, there just wasn't any. They searched most of any cameras that they could find within um, a half a mile. They started, uh, like, looking for leads, and that's when they noticed that there were two cars. One was a black sedan, one was a black SUV. There's possibly three people involved in this murder. They noticed that when they were watching the police footage, or the footage from the tape that they had gotten, cars arrive at the same time, and then shortly after what would have been the time that the killer had shot the women and was leaving... The one car leaves and the other car leaves right behind them. So, and they weren't able to zoom in further to get any type of license plate or anything like that. But this is where we get into kind of the theories on it. So, like I said, botched robbery. I obviously don't think that robbery was ever the intention in that. And I think that's why this case is so interesting is because if you're going to label it a botched robbery, who's going to go, who's going to try to rob somebody for $300 or less than $300. And after a lot of uh, police um, investigation, they believe that none of the victims knew the assailant and the assailant didn't know any of the victims. But I think that that's possibly a theory in and amongst its own right there is did this um suspect actually know the victims because obviously there was some ulterior motive besides robbery oh and um one of the theories on this is that but so this is what makes this case so interesting at least for me is that did the killer know his victims did he know one of the victims were all of the victims obviously this is where my conspiracy theory comes in so I think that if it wasn't a um a robbery, if it wasn't gang related and there was um he was in like in there for murder that he must have known the girl that was working or this Martha character that was working there and Obviously, she's the one that's been giving the police all this information. You know, she's been through, obviously, this very traumatic thing. And it's not fair for me to say that, you know, she possibly knew him. And, like, maybe that's why he didn't. Because I'm still very confused as to how somebody who isn't very far from you is going to miss, like, shooting you in the head. Mm. Especially with, you know her giving all the information she could have very easily you know be misleading police but like I said there's just obviously that's not you know a sound theory it's just um I'm obviously not the only person that when I was reading over this case there are many other people that also have this theory or at least have a theory that the gunman knew either Rhoda Martha or one of the original two other women that were in the store at that time and maybe that's why he decided to go into that store at that time or maybe he is a serial killer and maybe he stalked them and knew that this girl because she was supposed to be by mm-hmm. herself um Martha yeah because there the Rhoda ended up coming in because they were having a big sale that weekend so she wasn't even scheduled to be be there. So it's just a very interesting case. And since it is an ongoing um, investigation, if you do have any information, you can reach out to the Tinley Park Police Department. They have released a couple pictures of um, what they think the um, shooter looked like. So any help, obviously, will be greatly appreciated to bring this man to justice because... There are five women that are dead at his hand, and if it wasn't botched robbery, why did he do it? And that brings that to my mystery, which is probably the most lighthearted mystery of the night. This is about... Um, well, first of all, I've never been to Disney World, okay? So, how familiar would you guys say you are with Disney World? I'm not very... 
Um, Disney World's the one in Florida, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. I've never been. I've never been. To well, any just of so them. you know, Disney World is in Florida because I just found that out. I always forget Disneyland is California. You know, I should know that because it makes sense. Oh. I always wanted to go to Nickelodeon Studios in Florida. I'm like, oh, that place looks so Yo, cool. Yo, I went to Nickel. I went to the Nickelodeon Studios in Richmond, Virginia, at the King's Dominion. Oh, oh yeah, King's King's Dominion's the shit. It's the bomb. Yo, that was the best time. <laughs> so I the best time. Okay, anyways, Mara. Yeah, no. So, anyway, so Disney, the being the white man he is, bought a bunch of land for mm-hmm. Walt Disney World. And before um, it became God part of, damn it. oh, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Okay, you just got me fired up. You were like, She's getting fired up about oh, the white man and his racist self. We're talking about the white devil man. We'll have to have a white devil man. White devil man. Can't get away on a later podcast. I feel Anyways. like. Anyways. Yeah, so, yeah. like I said, bought a bunch of land for Walt Disney World, was one of the last projects he oversaw before he died, and then, like, his brother carried on the project. And so, it was purchased, the island was purchased around in the 60s or 70s, and then it was opened in 1974 as Treasure Island, and it was, uh, it was just, like, pirate-themed, and it was okay, but I didn't really bring in, like, any serious revenue up until 1976, when they reopened it as Discovery Island. And then it became this huge zoological park where they showcased, like, literally, like, hundreds of different species of birds, flora, fauna, mammals, you know, reptiles, and... It was, um... So it's kind of like a zoo. Yeah. Well, yeah. Zoological, so... Yeah. Okay, thanks, Mara. Sorry, I'd be a little bit... <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so it's a big park, and even though it was kind of, like, inconveniencing just how to get there, like, you had to buy, like, a ferry ticket, and then, like, just take this little dinky boat to the island, but, like, it was still, like, popular during its heyday. And um, then... Just before, just to interject mm-hmm. for one moment. Yes. So Jaws did or did not come out of the... The water during this boat ride, or is that no, un- no, no, that's no. universal, right? That's universal. Okay, all right, so, sorry. No, no. At, 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 uh, at one show, they, he did like he just made a cameo appearance, and then everyone freaked out, and they're like, "What?" And then they got sued. Anyway, so yeah, so it was popular in its heyday, but up until like probably say like the late eighties, early nineties, it wasn't drawing as much crowds as it used to, and then. There's sort of a mystery uh, about why it suddenly, like, just closed up, but, I mean, most likely it's pointed at Animal Kingdom, which opened up in 1998, and with, as you know, Animal Kingdom, it was also a big zoological park, but you didn't have to, like, you know, take ease bump up boat ride to this island. Yeah, the rinkety-ass boat that, like, they want you to take, they're like... You know, we have all this money, but here, we're going to have yeah, fucking ferry. Jimmy take the ferry over. And it's like one of the ones, like, they, they have to use the big sticks. They're like, where are you guys from? We're, you guys like alligators? Like, you know, I, I still have yet to go to Disney World. And the oh, only thing there? that I am most excited about is this drinking about the dream? world. Like... They're drinking around the world. Yes. Everybody's like, oh, it's like I just got shit house at fucking Disney. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I could get down yeah, with that. Absolutely. And then, so, like, you know, Disney statue as fuck. Um, so they, uh, so finally in 1999, like, at that point, I think they're kind of like, okay, we're going to cut our losses. So they closed the park to the public, but yes. they keep the park open up until. I would say July of that year, 1999, because between that time, April and July, they were pretty much just transporting all the animals and the vegetation, either Animal Kingdom or other zoos and parks in Florida. And then at that point, okay, yeah, closed. But um, nothing really gets done with the island. It's kind of just, like, left abandoned. And then there is this uh, group of, uh, they call themselves... uh, like these uh, explorers, you say explorers. Urban explorers. Urban explorers. There you go. They like parkour <laughs> and urban explorers. Yep, like, okay. 
So anyway, so they film in 2000. Did you say part one? So between 2005, <laughs> 2007, like these, um, I think they're like teens or young adults, doesn't really matter. And they pretty much swim across the water, which as you know, it's fucking Florida. So there's alligators there. And then they also got that uh, brain eating bacteria or whatever. Mi- I don't mitochondria? Probably. <laughs> and so they go on the island. They <coughs> swim across the island and like, um, and what's weird about it is that there's still lights on the island and like, I guess it's, I think just mostly for like the maintenance people there, like just, you know, but there's no security or anything on the island. And uh-huh. so they go through the island and um, a bunch of, so it's about 10 or so years after it closed. So a bunch of the buildings have been just knocked down by the weather and there's destruction. But the weird thing is it's. It seems like they left in a bit of a hurry, even though, like, there was that time lapse where they were pretty much transporting everywhere. Like, they left a bunch of shit behind, essentially. Like, the snack bar was still there. They left a bunch of anim- animal medicine inside and some other uh, util- uh, facilities. And then, like, they found, like, these jarred, these jars filled with, like, animal, like, with snakes and all that, and it was filled, like, with water or something. Oh, interesting. <gasps> yep. And then, um, there's even still, like, animals living on that, living on the island, and not just, like, you know, just regular Florida animals. Like, they yeah. could, it was kind of eerie, because, like, it was late at night, and they could hear, like, all these different, like, birds and, like, animals, like, and, like, you know, it's, like, it's scary. <laughs> or, like, I know I'd be scared. Yeah. And so, and so they pretty much, and they pretty much, uh, after their, like, little expedition, it brought off a bunch of public interests, and so there's kind of, like, been this, like, you know, like, what happened to the island, and, like, why did they never, you know, do anything with it, and there's been a couple of theories, uh, well, most likely the theory is that they just, like, maybe they're just lazy, and that, you know, kind of just moving on, but then, um... There was a cast member at the part that said the one of the reasons why nothing was ever done with the island was that they said that the soil was polluted because of all the fireworks that were fired off. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were to turn into a resort at this time or even, like, have it as, like, a virtual experience. But then, apparently, that all got shifted and... Nothing more was really said about it, but Disney's security has been uptight um, ever since that incident happened. Like, if you are caught within, like, 30 or so feet within that island, like, you're banned from all the parts. Oh, that's what never go back to Disney. So, yeah, they definitely don't want people going there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, because, like, obviously with so much stuff left there because like you know i mean i get it because i was probably like a bitch to transport it yeah but you're fucking mm. disney you, you literally have so much money exactly. like you were like jeff bezos before he was jeff fucking do you bezos. know how many people might be buried on disneyland though oh yeah well you like you hear about all the stories where people like leaving their ashes everywhere and it's like, okay, <laughs> i just say i just say that because i think of all the all the things that they have in Disneyland, right? Right. How long Disneyland has been around? How many people probably died in 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 making that production? Right. Yeah. Well, did you? Know, so are like, you guys familiar with River Country, which is also part of Disney World? No. So apparently, it was this like, which I thought is pretty cool, is like this outdoor water, well, a freshwater outdoor water park. Like yeah. it's the water is all is fresh, fresh water. And um, so apparently this kid died from the same um, brain-eating bacteria or something. And oh. that's one of the rumors that they pointed to as another reason as to why Discovery Island closed. But that's also most unlikely just because, like, no one really swam in the water there. Like, if you're to go to, mm. sw- you know, go to a water park, you go to river country or somewhere else. So. Right. Well, I mean, that makes <sighs> sense. I mean, they also okay. could have had, like, an underground lab, and then, you that's know. That's true. While Disney's hiding there. Just yeah, like... that's actually where his body is kept. <laughs> that's why there's so much scary now. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we have to they're protect like... Master's body. <laughs> we, we thought we had everyone fooled, but no, they know now. Well, that was, like, 
there's like a a lot of those videos on YouTube that you can like check out. Um, yeah. As far as like people. from chills. Oh my god. They say that Disney World is not actually a world. Oh my god. Disney um. World <laughs> is a scam. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, Disney it's an is a scam. A Nazi S movie. Well, I mean, unfortunately, They're just really horny people that like <laughs> everything. It was just created by That's super true. horny people putting subliminal messages. Well, which well, y'all is why we have the generation.
Das Vidania. Yes. Mar- Das Vidania is my thing. Get a fucking thing. Send you guys the best pictures of Kevin Bacon, so I hope you're ready. 